Welcome to At Work, Race Reflections Fortnightly Podcast on all things inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. I will be your host today, Gilen. I am back after a little breather break and I'm here today to talk to you about my second book, I guess, The Process of Writing White Mind and maybe to tell you a little bit about what I've learned about being a writer, being an author. As always, I would like to invite your comments, your queries, your dilemmas. Please feel free to get in touch by emailing us using at work at racereflections.co.uk or a contact at racereflections.co.uk. So, writing White Mind, my second book, what can I tell you? I haven't scripted this podcast as I don't tend to do these days. I'm just going to go with what comes on my mind. So first of all, let me give you some practical information about the book. So the book is published by Bristol University Press. And so it is a academic press. It's an academic book, but I guess it occupies a bit of a in-between space between mass market, so-called mass market books and more scholarly or maybe theoretical slash technical book. Now, if you are familiar with my writing and if you are familiar with my first book, Living While Black, you will know that the way that I write is perhaps <sighs> difficult to define. I like theories. I like ideas. So you're always going to get that in my writing. I also like to bring ideas and theory to life with personal anecdotes. And so that means that I bring a lot of autoethnographical notes as a scholarly style. That is my style of writing. And so in that respect, there's no huge differences between Living While Black and White Mind in terms of the style. I would say, though, that one of the key differences is that White Mind is perhaps a little bit more theoretical and the idea might be somewhat more sophisticated. When I wrote Living While Black, I was quite intent on writing a book which would be accessible as a self-help guide for people who are racialized as Black and who have experienced racial trauma. And although Again, as I said, the book is quite academic in places and certainly contain a lot of empirical data. I think I've done a decent job at making it accessible for people who may not come from a psychological or psychotherapeutic or an analytic background of some kind and for people who might not 
be located within academia or might not even have a degree, I'd say. I'd say that it is a book that is readable, that is digestible for people who are well-read, not necessarily graduate. I'd say the average person who read the book probably has a degree. But nonetheless, I think that if you don't have a degree and if you are well-informed around matters to do with injustice, with inequality and oppression, you would find the book okay to read. I'd say with white mind, in my mind, the average reader probably going to need some kind of graduate level understanding of social science or maybe, maybe kind of analytic or, or, or psychological thinking, I think. But you let me know, certainly by way of feedback, nobody has ever come back to me in relation to Living While Black to say I could not understand a damn thing, that I've never had this feedback and that it is really something that I... I take seriously, that's something that makes me very proud because some of the ideas in the book are actually quite complex, but I've managed to make sure that people understand them. And and I think that is my role as an educator, as an anti-racist, to make sure that what I'm talking about, people understand because, you know, otherwise, what's the point? You know, you might as well speak to yourself in your bedroom if somebody understands what the hell you are talking about. So there's no liberation that can be had, that can be supported if your idea, your practice are simply not understandable. So I take that seriously. Now, there is a slight increase in level in white mind because some of the stuff is extracted from a PhD thesis. Not all of it, but I'd say fraction of it, maybe 20, 25% of it come from the thinking that I've done as part of my PhD. And so it means necessarily the level is slightly more, as I said, intellectual. But that doesn't mean that I haven't gone through a lot of trouble to try to make that thinking as accessible as possible. And white mind deals primarily with ideas. And I think that's really the difference between the two books. But again, to make the ideas come to life, I bring anecdotes, personal stories, news stories, news events, a historical a kind of event, cultural material and, and production. And I think that's a book that's going to speak to people and that should be accessible in the main to people who want to read and who want to understand. It might require a little bit more effort. And in my book, that's okay. I don't patronize readers. I think if a book requires you to put a little bit of effort or to read and occasionally have a dictionary around, I think that's okay. Uh, personally, when I read, I like to be challenged. I like to learn. I like to be pushed, not to the point where every other page I have to stop and reread. That becomes too much for me. But if there's a passage or two where I think, hang on a minute, I'm not sure I got that. It happens to me, happens to most people, I think. That's okay. That's good. That means I'm being pushed. And so I hope that you'll be pushed, but to the point where you still want to stay with me. So that is a little bit of background information on the book and the difference between living while black and white minds. Now, should I tell you a little bit about the content? First of all, I would say that the book is maybe, some might say, controversial in that I guess what I do in the book is I focus on the pathology on whiteness from the white subjects 
perspective. And so what that means is that a lot of the time when we're talking about white supremacy, when we're talking about racial trauma, when we are talking about the afterlife, we might say, of imperialism, colonialism, enslavement, we tend to focus on the racialized other. We tend to focus on people who are racialized as black and brown. We tend to focus, we might say, on people of color. And on the book, what I do is I focus on white people and people racialized as white. It is more accurate to talk about people racialized as black and white and brown, but in the interest of privacy, and because it is a mindful to constantly say people racialized as white, people racialized as black, people racialized as brown, I'm going to say people of color white black and brown people. But please bear in mind that at all times, what I mean is people racialize us. There's no such thing as blackness. There's no such thing as whiteness. And I explain why in the book I take this position, those offenses, the illusion that serve particular political and material interest. I'd say also in the book, psychosocial interest. And so that means that constantly part of our decolonization part of our, if we believe in decolonization, that is part of our critical thinking is actually to stop taking those things for granted and to question them. And that's one thing that I like to do with people who are racialized as white is to tell them, well, you're not white. I don't believe in whiteness. And to observe their reaction. Often they leave them puzzled uh, because actually, regardless of what people say, let me tell you, people are very attached to this idea of whiteness, particularly people who benefit the most from it. And that is people racialized as white who feel a little bit discombobulated, feel a little bit lost when I remove their whiteness from them. And so in the book, what I try to do is essentially ask people to think what really does it mean to be positioned as white in society, to be racialized as white, to have inherited this kind of social historical legacy and to navigate the world as someone who is deemed to be racially powerful or privileged or to be placed in a position of superiority over others. And so what I put it is, of course, that give birth to a number of dysfunction, a number of pathology, a number of harmful effects, which in and of themselves reproduce, uh, produce, and if you like, ensure the continuity of white supremacy as a project. Now, that is the thesis of the book. And what I ask people who are racialized as white in the main, but the book is, is, you know, is for everyone to read. And I'm hoping indeed that people of color are going to find it of some interest to make sense of some of their experiences within our organization and outside is to say to people, well, actually you are harmed. And I'm saying to people who are racialized as, as white, you are harmed. You are also suffering because white supremacy impacts all of us because actually their systems of domination harm all Others. And so in order to make the case as to why we were a different kind of case, you know, plenty of case to be made, but a different kind of case to say why we need to dismantle white supremacy is that actually it harms you, my friend, more, more, I'd say, arguably, but at least equally, differently, but nonetheless equally as it harms us. And so this is what I try to make a case for in the book. And so people might find that it is a way of shifting what I call the analytic gaze. Um, it's a way of essentially 
uh, making whiteness the subject of our interrogation, of our inquiry, of our curiosity, but most importantly, is a way to try to understand how the psychic or the psychological worlds or configuration or structures of people who are racialized are as white are necessarily engaged in the social world, in the structural configuration, or in just the social arrangement that we have. So I hope it's not too abstract, but essentially in a nutshell, what I would say is that the, the book look at how white people function in society and how they have needed to function in society to maintain white supremacy and how now in turn the way that they function in society continue to reproduce white supremacy, which continue to reproduce white minds. That's essentially the bulk of the book. So yeah, tell me what you think. I'm not having read the book. Tell me what you think of those ideas. I guess, even though the, the, the you know, as I started by saying that the book is uh, somewhat controversial. I mean, some people are controversial because, you know, it is it is an act of transgression to put whiteness under the microscope. It is an act of defiance to focus on on the white subject. It is also an act of uh, resistance to say actually. Um, you are engaged here. You are the problem here. Now, that, I'm not the first person to actually make this point. You know, people have been saying that we need to interrogate the people at the perpetuating end of racial oppression and domination. I mean, for at least 100, 120 years, people have been saying that, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. There's something worth looking at. But interestingly, there hasn't been many books, actually many texts. I don't think there's been any texts like White Minds looking from a really dedicated and sustained manner at the psychosocial pathology of whiteness on the white subject. I, I don't think that has been. I don't think that's been, even though, you know, most of my intellectual forebears when it comes to race scholarship have obviously said, hang on a minute, we need to really theorize what's going on, quote unquote, internally when it comes to white people. And there's been lots of articles over the years, particularly within psychoanalysis, thinking about these psychic deformations when it comes to the white subject. But as far as a book that looks at not only these pathologies from an analytic perspective, but to link them to the material or the structural world and to the way that we operate as a society, there hasn't been one, I don't think. And that's what I'm really excited. As an aside, this book came about before I started the PhD, as you know, some of you, that I'm doing a PhD. I'm just finishing my second year in psychosocial studies. And in my PhD, I also look at surprise, surprise, whiteness, slightly differently and focus on the clinical encounter, as some of you may know. But I guess the book really is a, I'd say it's a psychosocial offering. And for people who don't know, psychosocial in a nutshell is really 
the intersection of the psychic and the the social is a bit more complicated than that. But essentially, sociology, I would say, and psychoanalysis and a psychological thinking coming together and the rethinking of this kind of binary proposition or disciplinary borders. So that is what psychosocial is about, in a sense. And so the book really sits in that thinking, rethinking, in addition to bringing a lot of kufanalytic thinking. Now, I said I wanted to tell you a little bit about what I've learned as a writer. I'm going to finish on that. Uh, an unusual podcast, but I hope it is going to be on interest. No doubt I'll be doing another podcast when the book comes out to see where I'm at in relation to how the book has been received. I must say many people have expressed some anxiety about how the book would be received and very specifically fear that I might become the target of uh, abuse, particularly from the right wing of the Price from the tabloid. It's a possibility. But I remember when I also wrote Living While Black, my family in particular was really worried that I would be targeted. I was never worried about Living While Black. I was never worried. I just didn't see how anyone with an ounce of decency, an ounce of sense would think that a book which deals with suffering and with trauma related to racism would attempt to dish more racism and more trauma on the writer. Maybe that was naive of me, but actually I haven't had that. I just haven't had that. I haven't had that in the UK for sure. I haven't had that in the States. Now, France, which is, you know, a world behind when it comes to the confrontation of historical atrocities and confrontation of its own racism, has been perhaps a bit more critical of the book. Certainly the book has been somewhat less enthusiastically received, let's say. Certainly some reviews have been quite racist, you know, as I expected. But nonetheless, even in France, I haven't been harassed. I just haven't been trolled. I haven't been the subject of sustained campaign of hatred or received any threat. So there's been, I'd say, maybe a few racist review overall, maybe a handful that I can think of. Well, you could say that really this is motivated by racism or if it's not motivated by racism, it's definitely discriminatory in the way that the, the critique has been formulated or communicated. But nonetheless, you know, given how well the book has done in relation to its reception, it's gone down pretty well. And so I guess I was right not to be worried. You know, the, the fear and the anxieties that my family had haven't been materialized. When it comes to white mind, I am a little bit more cautious, but I'm not too fearful. Actually, I'm a little bit more cautious simply because the book is an offering that in a way, deals with ideas. And so it's more, it's easier, you might say, to criticize ideas than it is to criticize studies, if you know what I mean. So it's a slightly different kind of offering, as I say. And so I think I'm more vulnerable because of that. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm not too worried because you know what? If you know me, you will know that I'm generally quite fearless. You know, 
bring it on. If necessary, I'll take you on. If not, I'll continue to live my life. I have work to do. I have things to say. I'll continue to do the work that I have to do. And I continue to say the things that I need to say. And so that's that on that, regardless of what happened. So let's just say that I'm not so anxious. Now, what I have learned, I'm realizing that the podcast is getting a little bit long. So let me give you a little bit of things that I've learned as a writer. Number one, one thing that has been really decisive for me has been to identify to call myself a writer. I really feel that I am a writer. And I started to identify as a writer after I had written something like, I don't know, maybe 50, 70 article or something of that nature. And I think that when you identify, you start to embody the identity that you claim. And if you don't want to claim being a writer, then you're going to struggle writing. At the same time, I know it's very popular. People, many people on Twitter claim the identity of writer. You know, people do what they want to do. That's not my business. But I know that for me, there is really something important about what it means to embody the world as a writer. I feel that I am a writer because I need to write to survive. That's all there is to it. I would write even if nobody was reading what I write. And I would write even if people really disliked what I write. I don't write to be popular. I don't write to make money, even though I do hope to make money because, hey, I need money to survive. But really, I need to write. That's that. The second thing that I would say is that, you know, do what works for you. There's a lot of advice out there about writing regularly, about this, that and the other. And frankly, this kind of advice can be quite disabling at times, like keeping a routine, writing consistently every day. I don't do that. I'm not someone who can function very well when they are stuck in rigid structures. I don't. I think my body, I think my mind rebels because really rebellion is really in every kind of inch of my body. I like to be free. And so that means that I write when the hell I want to write. And so I know that's going to contradict all advice out there, but I write when I want to write. And when I'm pushed to write, when I move to write, I can write 10, 15, 17 hours in a day for 20 days. I can do that. And when I don't want to write, I can write zero word for two months. I can do that. Overall, it balances out. Overall, it served me. But the point is that don't do that if it doesn't work for you. The point is do what works for you and stop being obsessed with other people's advice. So that would be the second thing that I want to say. And the third thing that I want to say is really find what your passion is, what your calling is even when it comes to writing. I really believe that my mission, I certainly have made it my mission, is to contribute something important towards dismantling white supremacy. And so that's what I am doing. And I think that this writing is really, really, really important because it is my, my mission. I think this is why I was put on this earth to do and I think this is why I have a talent for it. And this is why opportunity kind of came my way when my convictions, when my mission, I would say, aligned with my activities. I'm really sorry. I don't know whether this podcast is going to be helpful to anyone, but I will say thank you very much for listening to me musing on writing on White Mind. I hope to hear from you very soon in relation to the next step. And until next time, please take care.
subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to send us queries, questions and dilemmas to be reflected on, please email at work at racereflections.co.uk.